1: Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Waym Lou. This week, uh, I'm joined by Big V. Big V, how you doing?
0: Not bad, man. Um, starting to slowly see just a few more people. I bumped into Alex at the Rabbu.
1: Yeah, was well, I heard uh, reports that uh, you you you've got the Marcus All glow up. Um, to be honest, I didn't think you had that in you, considering you're already up. But uh, describe <laughs> the situation. What have you been doing, man?
0: Yo, it's all tennis. My my buddy um has a tennis court at his condo and they've allowed that to be used. And mm. literally I've been playing tennis three, four days a week, man. Shout shout out to tennis. Wow.
1: <laughs> so So you're gonna be the trials version of Novak Djokovic, is what you're telling me? No. Bro. <laughs> in more in more ways than one. <laughs> no,
0: trust me, as soon as that vaccine comes out, I am getting it, bro.
1: <laughs> yeah, seriously, everybody. Um yeah, no, that's um that's pretty good, man. That's pretty good. You, you gotta make, you gotta honestly it, it's hard to go outside and play sports right now, unless you wanna like just shoot by yourself. Right. It's just there's just not a lot else that you can do safely. But I mean, I don't know, man. Realistically, i have been biking around and stuff, I've been seeing people um out and about and like yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there's just full on games. Like I was biking past park or whatever, and there's like probably like twenty Asians just playing <laughs> what looked like Summer League in the <laughs> Philippines. Wow. Yeah, the Tibetan summer league. So, um, it was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Parks are starting to be decently full, but as long as everyone takes precaution, I mean, it's been months and stuff. So, um, yeah. So for this week's podcast, what we're gonna talk about is uh, the Raptors, um, uh, because you know, this is a Raptors podcast. And really, I just kind of, I've been making these videos, um, just because I'm bored and I want to stay Twitter relevant. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is what it is. Um but yeah, I mean basically what I've what am thinking about is just sort of like I really miss this team and I miss this team because not only are they a really good team, but they're like a really unique team. Um mm. they 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 are very different from other dominant teams when you really think about it. Um, you know, they and they just have all these like quirks about the way the Raptors play. So in keeping with the Ten Things fashion, I've come up with uh ten reasons why the Raptors are uh unique and um we can start with number one, which I think is the one that is probably the most enjoyable part about this season is just how the Raptors play defense. Um, yeah. We can start with the creativity. Um, you know, we, we've talked about it a quite a bit, but you know, from your perspective, I mean, you watch a ton of basketball, not just the Raptors. What's unique about the Raptors' defense?
0: Well, I think number one, it starts off with the collective IQ and the trust and the chemistry that they have in each other, because you know, we've seen the box and one, we've seen the triangle in two, we've seen the two-three zone, um, and I think you can't do those things if you don't have everyone on the same page, if you don't have everyone just being able to execute on that high level uh, no matter which scheme you go to, right? And uh, if you have certain players that can only play a pick-and-roll one way or, or, you know, that have weaknesses that you have to hide, then it just limits what you can do defensively. But with the Raptors, they can go to whatever they want because they know everyone can execute it on a certain base level. And so I think that's what makes them unique in that regard. And this is something that Nick Nurse has even talked about, right? Like he will go into game games with, you know, his game plans and whatnot. But he gives the players the freedom to you know, if if they're in the middle of a zone, they they have the freedom to make their own reads and say, okay, we, you know, we got to get out of this right now. We'll come back to it later. And he trusts them to do that. And when you look at how effectively they communicate, uh, you know, you see Marcus all just barking out instructions all the time. He kn- everyone seems to know where the play is ending, what the end goal for the opponent is, and they will snuff it out right away and they say okay we we know what you're trying to do w- you're not going to get that we're telling you right now are you're not going to get that we're, we're going to switch we're going to do whatever we need to do to take you away from that primary option so let's see if you can beat us with your secondary third uh, option whatever it may be and that's the thing that they just do over and over again and i think that's what wears teams down over 48 minutes
1: yeah for sure i mean um if you think about it like especially this was more prominent earlier in the season. Um, but the Raptors have had such good success of just taking away your number one option. As you mentioned, like, right. You think about like LeBron shooting, like I forget what he shot, like three or 13, like Kawhi had nine turnovers. Dame Lillard, yep. like scored under 10 points for the first time in like 600 games or something crazy like that. Uh, yep. He had he had nine points. Fred had 30 that game. Great, great point guard matchup. Um, And it just kind of goes on and on. Like the Raptors have done such a good job of denying the number one guy and they've been really creative about it. Right. Sometimes it's, um, you know, playing a lot of zone. Sometimes, you know, the Raptors do a really good job, especially after that Milwaukee series. They really figured out a way where um, they really are good about stacking the, the paint, so that there's always like a defender around the elbows. Like you can run whatever action on the side, but you're gonna have to go through two maybe three defenders probably two defenders on the perimeter and then another defender at the rim uh if you're gonna get there um, as a the number one guy and that's probably one of the biggest reasons why the raptors have been so good defensively against some of these top guys is just that they have a really great help defensive scheme um and you know um that has really allowed the raptors to shut down the number one guys and then look if you can beat the raptors with your number two guy if you can beat them with your number three guy Congratulations. You know, like you have a really good team. Like when I was thinking about, um, you know, when the Raptors played Houston and they basically trapped James Harden at half court every single time he came down the floor. You know, yep. that, that game they won because Ben McLemore hit like seven threes uh, mm-hmm. and Westbrook, you know, had a, some really, really big moments in the in the fourth quarter there. But, you know, not a lot of teams have a Russell Westbrook as a number two guy. And and to be honest, I mean, okay, a lot of teams have, you know, Ben McLemore as a number three guy. Um, but you know, not a lot of teams have a guy who can hit seven threes. And I I think it's especially when you look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference, there's just not that that many great number two options. And and so I I think that defensive strategy is very smart. And I, I think the other thing I really like with the Raptors' defense is just like. They're so they're really, really aggressive. And I mean that in that there's two things where they're really aggressive on one is just like the really aggressive pressure in the ball. Like they really dig into the ball. Right. They, yep. they, they'll some a lot of times they'll just trap you or not trap you. They'll pressure you full court. And the, the reason they're just doing that is just so that to take you out of your normal set or just the delay you like two, three seconds but they have young guards they have you know guys like even a guy like McCaw, he can pressure the ball Terrence Davis obviously is young he can pressure Fred and Kyle he can, they can do that and so they pressure the ball and then the other thing is just they're they're really really um they're really really aggressive on their closeouts and they like like they just fly out at you that's one of the weirdest things with the raptors is like they allow a lot of three point attempts but um they actually you know, allow a very, very, uh, you know, reduced field goal percentage on those threes because they're really, really good at just attacking that top hand, closing out really hard on you. And then sometimes, honestly, if you pump fake and let the guy go past, the guy will come back from behind and contest you for a second time, which is, um, which is unique. You know, I, I, I think I just enjoy that aggressive style of defense. It's, it, it really feels like the Raptors take the game to you rather than the other way around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, an important thing that you highlighted is with that ball pressure, like it's one thing to have ball denial and Mm -hmm. you're sort of shading a guy one way and taking things away that way. But it's another thing to be completely in their face and make the, the pass that they're looking to make so much more difficult, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's so many times where you can see teams are applying pressure, but also not because teams are still able to throw like those fastball passes and get out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. The thing, the thing with the Raptors is, they're they're so lengthy that all all of a sudden now when you're throwing these passes they're actually coming out slower I, I think that's what leads to deflections um and then even when they aren't able to get their hands on the ball like because that pass is coming slower they're able to recover that much quicker and so i think that's what keeps that incessant pressure and that's well again you talk about stacking that middle and having, having the paint constantly protected like those perimeter defenders are always able to ensure that they buy their bigs time mm-hmm. and vice versa. And I think that's a big part of their defense. And and, just, and, and also just like from a chemistry standpoint, they, they're all willing to have each other's backs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a while ago you had tweeted out uh, that clip of the Raptors, you know, the, the Bucks were trying to go to sort of that Giannis Middleton pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And they snuffed it out right away. And you know, Serge was like, "Hey, if, if Fred gets into this pick and roll and he's guarding Giannis, that's a problem, right?" And mm-hmm. so, as a teammate, yep. he sees that and he says, "Okay, I'm gonna take Giannis, right?" And yep. and and they sorted out they sort they sorted out the coverage behind that. But um, there's there frankly, there's a lot of teammates in this league um, that would that would look at that situation and just say, "Hey, man." If Giannis gets a bucket on you, that's your problem. Mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so I think that selflessness, that, that looking out for each other, that makes a huge difference in the sacrifice that they're willing to make.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the fundamental basis for so many def- great defenses, is just like trust, the fact that you're willing to trust your teammates and you trust that they will be there. And that's one of the nice things about the Raptors now. If, if you compare it, not even necessarily to other teams, but just like other Raptors teams that we've seen, there have been weakness um, just weak spots in the Raptors defense like the Raptors have been statistically successful as a defense before like even a couple of years ago there were like top six in defense before that they were consistently kind of top 10 in that range uh, and that was fine but they, that was sort of like they played the percentages right um, they executed decently but they were able to limit the type of shots that were coming they were generally speaking forcing um good shots in the defense or from the offense and and they were getting good numbers that way but they weren't as flexible as they are now right like they had one set defense they were going to uh you know force you you know away from the pull-up three get you into the mid-range no one's really going to contest you in the mid-range mm-hmm. and and just do that and the raptors i mean they still kind of have the same principles now but they're just much more aggressive about it and Part of that is just they don't have someone like JV who is really inflexible defensively, right? You can only play him around the rim. And sometimes even around there, he can get faked out and um, allow someone to get to the rim or just uncontested layup. And then, of course, you have DeMar as well on the perimeter. And th- those two guys just sort of force the Raptors to be you know, much more stringent in their defense. And they really force the other three guys to on the floor with them to be excellent defensively because otherwise you're just not going to win a lot of games whereas now every single guy on the rotation is a good defender period and every single guy on the rotation is a a versatile defender and honestly if you don't if you're not good at defense Nick Nurse is just straight up not going to play you like he just said at the start of the season (laughs) Stanley Johnson doesn't play defense he he played defense you know Detroit style but like he does not play defense to Raptors standards and the whole season they didn't play Stanley Johnson Right. And so yep. um, they have standards everyone's really smart. They're really clever. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, the, their end result is beautiful. Like the Raptors are second in the league at deflections per game. Um, you know, they're they're really good at, you know, getting on transition. And that's something else we will talk about later on. But um, the, 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 the Raptors defense is the fundamental basis of, uh, of the team. And um, yeah, it, it's just it's nice watching a defense uh, first kind of team. You know, it's it's kind of rare in the NBA nowadays. Mm-hmm um yeah
0: Or right, i i was just gonna sort of i i think you know we had marked this for a little later but i think it just fits to tie it in part of part of why it's so exciting is because of what it leads to right that transition game is so explosive mm-hmm. that well once they get into it like it's, it's really tough to stop and so i think that's what fuels the excitement so much of the time is like knowing that you know if pascal or norm like when they're out on the break, or even you look at look at Fred, the way he's hitting pull up threes this season, um, there's just so much offense that comes out of that defense that you, you really, you know, it, it makes you that much more invested on that end of the floor.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, and we could get we can jump into that now, actually, the transition thing. Um, yeah, the Raptors are just super dominant in transition. Like uh, the Raptors are. First in transition opportunities per game uh, with 24 transition opportunities. They're third in points per transition, uh, 1.17 points per play. And then the thing is they're also really, really good at defending transition too because they they only allow um, the 10th fewest um, transition points per mm-hmm. game, but they're also first in limiting transition points per play. Like the Raptors score 1.17 points per play. They allow 1.04 points in transition. So it's just a huge difference. The Raptors really dominate that. And honestly, Raptors are kind of like an average um, half-court team. If you get the Raptors in the half-court, you're probably doing pretty good. But the Raptors are so good, especially defensively, at getting themselves in the transition and then defensively getting themselves back in transition. That um, That's a a, a huge reason why the Raptors win. It's just, you know, they they win transition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think to highlight all of that, you know, when the Raptors play in the half court, again, it's they, it's because they don't have as many options, right, mm-hmm. um, that they truly trust in the half court. But when you look at transition in terms of who is effective, um, you know, you, you've got Siakam coming downhill, you've got Norm coming downhill, but then if you take away that, then they, they're able to kick it out, and then you've got Fred for three, you've got Um, Kyle for three, you've got OG in the corner. So uh, again, those, those options, when those guys are able to get that quick, clean look, I think there's just so much more effective uh, than Mm -hmm. what we've seen in the half court. And then defensively as well, I think what makes them so uh, successful is the fact that um, they really attack the ball again, even in transition, right? Like their primary goal is stop that ball. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of times, whether it's a turnover, whatever it is, right away, they are on it. They know that the best way to stop it is to stop that ball from moving. Like a lot of times, teams will just look to get back. And obviously, that, that's a big part of, uh, you know, de- defensive transition. But when you're able mm-hmm. to stop that ball early um, and, and just force whoever's got the ball to slow down, that that makes things much easier and I think that's what the Raptors do a great job of
1: yeah yeah um, yeah and I think the way they kind of the, the way the Raptors play offense also kind of helps the way they are able to defend and transition because mm-hmm. I think about like for example the Raptors just usually have their center at the top of the floor right like Marc Gasol yeah probably standing at the top of the floor and if a transition opportunity breaks out you have your center uh, closest to your own basket Right, so he's able to recover there, and, and generally speaking, you're able to protect their rim a lot better if your center can do that. Um, now, whether Marc Gasol will pull his his hamstring like he did against um, Detroit, just running back in transition, I mean, that's a different story altogether. Um, but you know, the, you the fact that you have your center at the top of the floor, I think just helps your floor balance a little bit. Uh, I also think that like Freddie and Kyle. Uh, are, are just like a just really really good at, as you mentioned digging into the ball even after a turnover or after a miss like they're able to like stop you from even getting out in transition a lot of those times and then uh, the rest of it is just they have great defensive personnel right like you have you know Pascal who can come back for a chase down block you have OG who can come back with a chase down block you have um you know uh, a guy like Boucher can come back and chase down block we even see Serge occasionally come back for chase down blocks um and and it's just overall it's just a great commitment to defense as well um but i, I think you know uh, you know obviously the basis of every great defense is that you are able to stop the other team getting in transition uh and then i think the, the interesting thing is like the way the raptors play defense regularly like i think that fuels their offense too because you know, I've been watching a lot of clips of steals just because I'm trying to make these like highlight packs or whatever. And like yep. one common thing I would notice is that the Raptors get a ton of steals around that elbow area, right around like you know just the two um, the two elbows there. And they're always having a guard there swipe in and dribble. And when you have a turnover that occurs right there, the majority of the team's offensive players are behind the play, so you're already coming out in transition you know what i mean like so it's it's more advantageous to get a steal there as compared to digging in deep in the low post and grabbing a steal that's fine cool it's still great but um you know the the, the most of the play is still you know ahead of the ball whereas the way the raptors and where the raptors get their steals especially on the perimeter or in that sort of like mid-range area it really lends itself to to get on transition where you have like norm who's freaking amazing in transition or pascal who's amazing in transition and all these other guys you know
0: yeah, and honestly, this this might sound like a weird thing to say, but the same way offensive teams run their sets, it would not surprise me if the Raptors have actually earmarked. Okay, when teams run this play, this is going to be our moment to get <laughs> the steal. And <laughs> they, you know, it really looks like it's almost, you know, um, a pre-planned steal. Mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, we're going to trap here. This is where the ball is going to be forced. And that's where you jump out and you can get the ball and go get get out. Um, and I really feel the Raptors do that because like you say, there there is almost like a pattern with their steals in terms of where they make it happen. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I do think they have sort of certain plays where they just know, okay, this is how we're going to blow it up. And this is, this is what we're going to force them to do. And this is where uh, we're going to get the ball and get out on the break.
1: Yeah. I mean, it always reminds me of soccer in a way, because this is such the thing that it's always talked about in soccer pressing, right? And, and yeah, and how, and especially recently in the last like five six years, it's really been discussed how can you use your pressing to turn into offense. Obviously, I'm a Liverpool fan. That's Jurgen Klopp's like a large part of his philosophy and why he became big at Dortmund and now at Liverpool. Um, but in a, in a way, it's kind of similar, right? The Raptors had to have that sort of um, ability to really it, it's the ability to weaponize your defense. Um, and I, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, Nick Nurse is um, Jurgen Klopp, but, uh, you know, some some similarities, some similarities, I'll say that, say that much. Um, okay, so the, another thing, I think the third thing that I think that's really unique with the Raptors is, um, they got like the smallest guards in the league, man. <laughs> you look at Fred and Kyle, I mean, you stood beside Fred and Kyle, uh, are either of those two guys, you know, for sure above se- uh, six feet? No. <laughs> I'm,
0: pretty much a, about my height, which you know, we've seen what happens when you stand next to me.
1: I was gonna say there's a I, I definitely interviewed Fred and um we're both sitting down in chairs at like the same the same chairs, so the same level. And um I mean I have a, like I'm pretty tall anyway, but like yeah, Fred Fred did not look uh, super tall in that video. Um <laughs> the raptors just have really small guards, but it, it's weird because you think about it, even though they have really small guards, the Raptors guards are are like a huge reason why the Raptors are as successful as they are, right? Uh, You have these two sub six foot guards and it looks awkward at times, but I don't think they're giving up anything defensively. And of course they're giving something offensively. Like the two of them are combining for about 38 points per game, um, you know, and obviously tons of assists and tons of threes. But I just think it's it's interesting that these two guards defensively are, are so good. Like, why do you think the Raptors are as successful as they are on defense, but despite the fact that they have, you know, just straight up two of the smallest starting guards in the league.
0: Well, you hit on two things there. So, first thing is, you said, they don't give anything up. And I think that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you think about, okay, uh, as, as an opponent, if you've got someone smaller on you, you look to, you know, to attack them in the post or whatever it may be. You can't do that with Fred or Kyle. And so... That 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 you know turns out to be a net neutral for the Raptors, often you know even a positive. Mm-hmm. And even even in situations where someone might have an overwhelming advantage, again you know there's times where will you, where you will see uh, Fred sort of getting back down, and the, and he's got teammates ready to help, and he knows in those situations it's like okay, I just have to buy enough time, and I can trust that my teammates will get in position to help me, and then I can you know, scramble back to wherever I need to be. And I think mm-hmm. uh, and then it's the same thing with Kyle. And I, and I mean, maybe with Kyle, you know, there's there's even more trust there where they're just like, all right, man, it, it, this is a win for us. So just go ahead and post them up and mm-hmm. you know, wait for the board. Uh, but again, it's just, they don't give anything up. And, uh, you know, in terms of their team defense, they they execute Nick Nurse's plans to perfection. And the other thing I'll say is, Sure, they might be the smallest backcourt in the league, but they are also the smartest backcourt in the league. I think you can look across the entire NBA. There's not a smarter duo on defense than those two. Mm-hmm. And I think their approach, uh, you look at Fred's aggression, the way he's able to get up into his man and really sort of disrupt uh, his handle, you know, his vision of the floor, um and take away all of that i think kyle we know his strengths whether it's drawing charges or uh, directing players in, a, in the direction they don't want to go i think both of them have unique skill sets in that regard and i think mm-hmm. that's what makes them so special
1: yeah yeah i mean especially help defense like they're just i mean lowry leads the league in charges taken uh, obviously and and Fred it leaves the league in deflections per game, <laughs> like so right there you you have two really good help defenders right yep. um and then you think about it too like they also work they make sense as a pairing because you you, you know with Kyle especially as he's gotten older his on ball defense especially against quicker guards has been kind of slipping the last couple of years right like I think I would say probably 2017 2016 ish mm-hmm. like that that was the time where Kyle started. Not being as effective on the ball, um, yeah. he's still really good on the ball. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know that's just not his strength. And he's way better as a help defender, uh, and and that's often what you see. Like Fred's able to be that ball hawk to say, look, I, I guarded Steph Curry in the finals. I can guard anybody. I can guard any of these lead guards. Whoever mm-hmm. whoever's supposed to be you know elite uh, whatever like Fred will be on that um, player, and then Kyle can just be on a lesser wing. But I think that's also really strategic because that allows Kyle to, you know, step in for charges, you know, make deflections, you know, make reads and all this kind of stuff. Like, Kyle's just really good at help defense. It really just allows Kyle to use his big brain to, like, just, you know, do stuff around the ball. Yeah. And then yeah. and then it's just, yeah, I mean, it's weird because they're both really short, but, you know, if you look into the numbers a little bit, um, Kyle and Fred are both really good in terms of just protecting the basket, which is just rare. Like, the average for guards, you know, point guards around – the rim we're talking about restricted uh, guarding shots in the restricted area it's like probably like 65 66 which is normal like their guards are not going to do a lot of the rim somehow the raptors kyle is actually the worst at it he's at 60 percent. fred's at 58 percent. and then if you even if you look on the bench terrence davis 58 percent, matt thomas 56 percent. like the raptors guards are just generally speaking really tough at the rim and the only other team that you can really say this about is probably the Bucks. The Bucks also have some really good rim protection numbers for their guards, but it's just interesting, man. It is, you know, it, it kind of goes against convention in a lot yep. of ways. But again, when you see it work in against Milwaukee, when you see it work against uh, Golden State and, and when you see it when you win a championship with it, like I don't know. It's it's a it's a, yeah, a proven formula.
0: I think the one thing I'll add to that is we, we talk a lot about how Kyle has perfected the art of drawing the charge. He's also perfected the art of, you know, falling backwards in the air Mm, and having, and having the verticality. Right. Yeah. So it's like, he's contesting the shot, but you can't call the foul because he's doing it perfectly. Now, every, you know, every once in a while, he'll get called for the foul. And then, you know, you'll see him go, go, go off on the refs. But for the most part, he does a really good job of getting back, And then as the opponent is going up, he'll rise with them and straight up, he's moving back with them. So there's no real contact being made. It's just sort of that presence that can deter the shot. And so, you know, whether that even, you know, just buys time for someone like a surge or whoever to pick up the chase down block, um, I, I think that's another aspect of, protecting the rim that they add to the table where they're just again not giving anything up there's no Mm -hmm. easy baskets against against this team
1: yeah for sure and and it's just interesting because you compare the rest of the the east the one of the patterns is just the the east has big backcourts like okay so boston has kemba which is kind of small but i mean whoever a shooting guard between Jalen brown or gordon hayward or jason tatum those guys are all huge and of course marcus smart comes off the bench he's six four um you know you, you got and then Philly has Simmons who's 6'10 and Richardson who's 6'4 even the Bucks Bledsoe and Matthews they're both above 6 feet Kendrick Nunn 6'2 Jimmy Butler 6'7 like the Raptors are the anomaly and and yet the Raptors backcourt are part of the best defense out of the whole bunch so um it, it is just kind of Bucks convention and I, I think it's it's a real sign that you've um you you've really found something because other teams start trying to emulate you like I remember early in the season like um the the Cavs came in and the, the Cavs coach at the time, John beline who, who who later quit the job because uh, what did he say? Yeah, what 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 was that comment he he mentioned that got him fired? Um,
0: um, he called his team a bunch of thugs, and then he's like, "I meant
1: to say slugs." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I meant or, to like, say I slugs. Said slug. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man, bro, you did not say slugs, man. Just take the <laughs> L, go home. Like, come on, man. Um. But anyway, yeah, he was here and he was talking about how like, you know, their model for their backcourt, which is also quite small. You know, you got Sexton, you got Garland um, like they were trying to show their team tape of Fred and Kyle as an example of how two small guards can make it work. And, um, you know, uh, look, listen, it takes a lot of talent. You can't just show them the film when they're suddenly great. But um, it is cool that they're getting that respect. Um, moving on to number four. I like the way they have to play out of the post. I feel like that's something that's unique, right? Because post play is really dead. Like, I was looking into some of those numbers recently. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets, who, I mean, it makes sense. They have no post up players whatsoever. Like, even their centers are DeAndre Jordan and um, Jared Allen. <laughs> Neither of them can post. <laughs> 0.4% of all Brooklyn Nets plays are come out of the post. <laughs> I have Yo, never sucks. seen a number that small, man. <laughs>
0: Yo, someone retweeted some quote from Charles Barkley about DeAndre Jordan the other day. Did you see it?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell it. Tell it.
0: Basically, the, the quote was, DeAndre Jordan could lock himself up in the gym and be told he can score any way but dunk. And he'd, you'd see him the next morning with six points.
1: I don't know, man. <laughs> Char- you don't want to go at Charles, man. I don't know what DeAndre said about Charles, but just not gonna come out of that. Like, look at Draymond, right? Draymond tries to go at Charles Barkley, you know, it says you know only champions can talk or whatever, and then all of a sudden now Draymond's known for the triple single.
0: <laughs> that, was, that was an incredible line.
1: No triple single is killing me, man. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: Barkley's a legend, man.
1: No, definitely, man, definitely. Yeah. Um but yeah I, I like the way the Raptors play out of the post um you know speaking of Barkley but um yeah I mean you know and and it's it's interesting because it's not like the Raptors try to shoot out of the post that much but I like the way they play make out of the post right like if you mm-hmm. look at the team they just have a great personnel for it right like Mark obviously is one of the best um post up playmakers pretty much in NBA history and he's gotten so good at it that even Serge has been pretty good at it like I, just, I put out a video of just Serge passing and honestly, yeah. Serge had some really nice passes, which, okay, fine. It's only, like, a two-minute video. You can find, you know, 10, 15 passes for anybody in a season. But I'll just say this much, okay? Serge, in his second year, played 82 games the whole season. All right, he played uh, – he averaged 27 point uh, minutes per game. He had 23 assists that whole season. Yep. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just saying, like, you got to put it in perspective. Like, Serge making great passes to Matt Thomas for alley-oops is actually a plus, but you have Mark being a playmaker out of the high post, and then you have Siakam and Rondé, who are really good playmakers out of the mid-post. Obviously, Siakam tries to score from there, but he's doubled so often that he's able to distribute. And then Rondé, oddly enough, I mean, I'm not saying Rondé is an effective offensive player, but if you put him into the post and you space the floor and you put a cutter um, from the opposite uh, wing, Rondé does a decent job of of passing. So, um, I I don't know. I, I Just for me, personally, I like Offenses that at least involve the the posts somewhat. I don't want to just see pick and roll after pick and roll. What about you?
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I think when we talk about uniqueness, I think what's great about the Raptors is what each of those players offers uh, in that area of the floor is so different, right? Like mm-hmm. Rondé with him, he knows when he gets the ball, the biggest offensive threat he presents is a pass, right? Yeah. And, so um, I think he definitely, you know, and, and the good thing about him is he, I think he understands his strengths, right? Like he, go, if, if he gets the ball in, in those situations, he is looking to make the pass first. And then it, uh, unless he's right at the basket, then, you know, you're going to see, you know, three, four circus moves before the ball goes in or, <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> hey,
0: it's basically Rodman uh with that reba- rebounding sort of explanation right um and so i think that that is extremely unique um and then you see you see with pascal especially with the way i think he's come into his own in terms of figuring out when to pass when to when to look for his own um and then with mark you know he can find any angle he will direct traffic so effectively and I, honestly, sometimes it's like the play they're running just sort of goes out the window, right? Like mm-hmm. where like they'll be running with we'll a play, but if Mark sees something, all of a sudden his head, his neck is turning one way, and it's like he's directing traffic mm-hmm. and boom, it's a bounce pass uh, leading into a layup or a wide open three, whatever it may be. And so um, I think I think that's where you know just having different types of threats can make such a big difference in the effectiveness of you know just running even the, the exact same play
1: Mm-hmm. yeah definitely and I, I think it just you know to that point you get the reason why i think i enjoy post play is that like you have different angles in which the game is played now all of a sudden right you're not yeah. just always trying to go from the perimeter and then putting pressure at the rim and if defense collapses you kick out the three and then you swing around bad rotation you, you shoot a three of course the raptors do a lot of that too but um you know, I, I think, you know, just the angle of the floor just completely changes when you're able to pass out of the post, especially when you are have to pass out of multiple spots in the post. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to note that even though the Raptors actually go to post-ups quite often, they only shoot about 5% of their shots come out of from the post. So when they're in the post, they're not actually shooting that much. And it's pretty much just. Uh, okay, Pascal obviously will look to shoot out of the post, but you know Rondé occasionally. Basically, that's like the you know um the the, the last option is for Rondé to, if he posts up, no one comes, then he has to force up a shot. Uh, or occasionally surge but for the most part, it, it's mostly just Pascal. But what the Raptors do do a good job of is their third uh, in points per game on catch and shoot threes uh, at over 31 points per game, and so. They're able to use that post up to, to get opportunities elsewhere, to open up opportunities. And when you put the ball into the post, all of a sudden, you know, you can do more stuff on the perimeter because the the focus of the ball is not on the perimeter. You're not like actually looking at the, the perimeter as much. So you can do things like you can do a little cross cut. You have two people come together and separate. Someone goes to the rim. Like how many times do we see Mark or even nowadays, even Serge, find guys who are just splitting on the on the perimeter. Someone going to the rim. Miscommunication. Boom. There's a layup. Right. And um, I just yeah, I, I just I. Man, it's just it's just nice to watch this as compared to the Brooklyn Nets. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, those guys I mean, can't do anything out of the post. And the Raptors have good shooters at, at, in the, in their front court. Obviously, Rondé being the exception, but they have good shooters where it opens up the floor. So it actually allows people to cut because there is space in the paint because there's no center there. So
0: yeah, I, I think you know the biggest way I would differentiate between the Nets and the Raptors. Obviously, there's a lot of things that differentiate them, but in this regard, offensively, you know, I would say when you when you watch the Nets play offense, they're literally playing math, right? Like they're literally Mm -hmm. saying, "Okay, we know what the math dictates, and this is what we're gonna do." The Raptors, they understand the math, but they just go about it in a very organic way. Mm -hmm. That there's, there's just a lot more feel to their approach, and I think that's what makes it much more difficult to guard right like you even look at the Houston Rockets as an example I think part of why in the playoffs they sort of hit those lulls is because at the end of the day everyone knows what they're going to do each and every possession right Mm -hmm. and with the Raptors when you have you know we'll probably get into this a bit later but I think big picture offensively you know I, I think about you know One time uh, I remember watching this Ryan Giggs interview and people were like, you know, what do you think made you such a good dribbler? What made you sort of glide past defenders so easily? And Mm. he said, his answer was, I don't know which way I'm going. So how the hell can the defender know? Right.
1: Okay, Okay, I like that.
0: And and so I think a lot of times with the Raptors, it's like, yeah, okay, they have, you know, their plays that they run and this and that but they their iq you know the way they operate they're allowed they have the freedom to sort of freelance at any moment and so i think the freedom that they have to change direction and identify something i think that's what separates them
1: Mm. yeah it's um Yeah, I mean, just variability, man. You just don't want to see... When you turn on a game and you watch it for two and a half hours, you just don't want to see
0: the same formula
1: over and over again, (laughs) man. Even if it (laughs) wins, it's fine. But, like, damn, it looks ugly, man.
0: Yeah, and, and, I mean, you think about that. That applies to their defense, too, right? Like, what did Jason Tatum Mm -hmm. say when he was asked about, you know, who's the toughest defender he has to face? And he's like, it's not one person. It's a team because the Raptors Mm -hmm. at you in so many different ways. So, as an offensive Mm -hmm. player, it's like, man, they're you don't know which way they're going to try and shut you down. And that just makes it so much more difficult. And I think that's Mm. the biggest, you know, unique aspect of this team, just the different ways they will come at you both offensively and defensively.
1: For sure. Um, And then that brings me to number five. Um, You know, Nick Nurse obviously is a big reason for the way the Raptors play, right? Stylistically, obviously he sets the tone and I, I think it's really meshed well with the roster as well. But one thing I like about Nick Nurse, aside from all the stuff, is just that he loves to call the manager. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick, Nick Nurse, <laughs> he, he leads the league in, in coaches' challenges, which, honestly, I don't understand why all the 30 coaches in the league are tied at, <laughs> for the leading coaches' challenges, because why would you not use it, right? Um, right. But a lot of coaches don't like it. I mean, Nick Nurse himself has already said he doesn't like it either. But if it's there, you have to use it. Like, why would you not? Try to, you know, challenge something. Unless you're winning the whole game by 40 points, okay, fine. You don't want to be a dickhead. But honestly, sometimes Nick Nurse has even done that. Like, I I remember that Terrence Davis game where he had, what, 30-something on the Bulls. Nick Nurse, I think, was challenging a call, like, up, like, 20 points in the fourth quarter. (laughs) So, um, yeah, he loves uh, coaches' challenges. And, of course, you know, early on, he started out really poorly. Um, You know, we, we remember that great moment in Staples Center when he finally won a coach's Challenge after going 0 for 6, mm-hmm. and uh, he was hugging everybody, like he hugged like a random fan on court side, in addition to most of his assistant coaches. Um, but since then, he's actually been pretty good. He's actually 14 of 25 after missing his first six, so he's he's gotten that down. And I don't know, I just find it really enjoyable that Nick Nurse would always uh, throw the coaches challenge.
0: I think I think that first challenge that he won against the Lakers highlights so many key aspects. Of Nick Nurse that make him successful Mm. like you think about having those challenges in a row that he lost you said it was was six in a row right Mm. and that that would play on a lot of people's minds like ah you know maybe I'm not so good at this and you know I gotta lay off he's clearly aware of it the way he celebrates it Mm -hmm. he's clearly aware of it but he's not intimidated by it right and and you even think about the value of when he made that challenge He understood the importance of that moment because it was LeBron getting an and one at the time Mm. on Pascal Siakam, which would have been Pascal's fourth foul. And he's like, Hey, if there's a chance for me to save Pascal here, then I've got to do it. Right. And Mm -hmm. so he ends up winning the challenge. Pascal's down, back down to three fouls. You take away the and one. Now it's a jump ball at center court. And those are the little things that can help you, you know, keep momentum in a game. And so, and, and again, just like he's, he's not afraid to fail at all, right? It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll go to 0 7. I don't care, right? Mm-hmm. He'll keep trying. And you, we brought up the Rockets example uh, where they tried that defensive scheme of trapping hard in a, a half court. And these are the things where he will try and he will try and he will try. Obviously, his end goal is always to win, but he's not afraid to lose a few battles if it means winning the war
1: yep and that's and that's what you want that's what you want man do you want that humility as well but uh yeah i mean um i also find it interesting just how nick or what, when he uses the challenge i feel like i don't have the specific numbers for this but i feel like out of the 30 some odd challenges he's thrown probably 20 have been on kyle <laughs> it really yeah, you, you really definitely. know who a coach loves if uh if he's coming to their defense with a coach's challenge, because he only got one and obviously Kyle's a great player. Um, but, you know, it's, it, I think it's also interesting that Nick always comes to Kyle's defense. Okay. Number six. Um, I, I think it's really cool that the Raptors have a number one option, like Pascal Sackham, who is really unique as a number one option. Like, I, you know, I'm just going to go through his usage really quickly, but you know, you, you just rarely see guys who are like this, right? So for, for Pascal, 22% of his plays come in transition. 18% come in isolation, 14% as a pick-and-roll ball handler, 4% as a role man, which I thought was pretty small, but whatever, um, post up 20, uh, 12%, and then spot up about 13%. So he's literally a guy who does everything, right? Like, how many players in the NBA are, are you finding this kind of usage pattern for? It's it's really different. Like, generally speaking, stars are stars because they have some sort of um, uh, unique talent that allows them to dominate because that's how, and then everyone else can sort of play off around that because they need to man double teams and stuff like that. Um, You just wouldn't see this usage pattern. Like, for for Giannis, it would probably be mostly transition, mostly isolation. And then, you know, obviously he's not spotting up that much. He's not even scoring out of the post as much uh, either. So, yeah, I I just think Pascal's very unique. Like, his usage pattern, like, can you you think of another number one option in the NBA uh, who has such variability in how they play?
0: No, not really. I mean, I think, again, this is another credit to the organization where um, they understand the big picture, right? And I think Nick Nurse looks at Pascal and it's like, okay, how do we truly get Pascal to be the guy and be Mm. comfortable with every spot on the floor, every situation? And it's like, yeah, we've got to expose him to all these different aspects. We we talked about Serge improving his passing. It's like they – You know, they could have looked at, uh, you know, his film from OKC and his career to that point and just said, yeah, this is something, you know, passing is just not in his game. Mm -hmm. But they said, hey, the only way we're going to figure it out is if we actually put him in situations and challenge him to do it over and over again. And yeah, he might fail initially, but we believe he's smart enough to figure it out. And now Serge is showing that same way with Pascal. There's such situations where we have seen him fail this season, but it is going to help him become the best player he can be. Mm-hmm. And to Pascal's credit, again, with him, we've seen that he is willing to acknowledge failure. He's willing to embrace it. We, we saw uh, you know, that season where he missed like, what was it, 25 straight three-pointers? But Over a month.
1: <laughs> he, yeah. he didn't make a three in a month, man. Yeah. I think it was like February or something, yeah.
0: But again, the team was comfortable with him shooting it because they saw how hard he was working in practice, that he was putting in the time. And so they, everyone, including himself, believed that at some point it was going to turn. And so the same way with all these different aspects to his offense, whether it's in isolation, whether it's as the bowl man, whether uh, it's in the post or spotting up for three, all these aspects, you know, they're slowly going to come together. And then we're going to see Pascal as the best player, that he can be, we're, we're going to see his potential fully maximized.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, I wonder what that looks like, man. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> Cause right now, what the data suggests is that he can do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So if he could just continue to be better at doing a little bit of everything, I mean, I don't know, man, it's, it's a high ceiling for Pascal. Um, yeah. and, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really have that much else to add to this because, you know, I think you said it really well. And, I you know, I completely agree. But it is just it's cool because Pascal's number one option. I also think it's kind of unique for Pascal just in the personality standpoint, just because he doesn't really dominate or demand the ball as much as a number one player would. We're not saying Pascal doesn't have the ball a lot. Obviously, he does. But, you know, for a, no, a lot of number one guys, it comes with a lot of baggage like, oh, I'm a number one guy not going to play defense. Yeah, I mean I'll just you know, like I'll just let everyone else do it. And then Pascal, okay, maybe his defense has slipped a little bit, but um he still leads the league in contesting threes. And that's really hard to like launch yourself. It takes a lot of energy. You're flying around and you're contesting threes. It takes a lot of energy for for him to do that. You know, that obviously says a lot about his commitment on defense and he just I don't know, man, he's just not also not a diva either. Like he doesn't have like he just doesn't have a lot of I don't know, baggage. It's, it's nice. He, he's a number yeah. one option, but he doesn't necessarily um, demand as much. You know, it's, it's more like a Tim Duncan kind of number one option.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. He is as humble as they come. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, obviously Kyle is right there to help lead the franchise. Uh, but one day, this franchise is, you know, he's going to have the keys solely to himself. And you, you expect nothing but great things because of who he is as a person. Um, and the way he works uh, to be the best he can be on the court.
1: Mm. Um, speaking of first options, I, th- I think move on to number seven. I think it's really unique that the Raptors don't have necessarily a defined number two option. So it's probably Kyle, right? I think we could say that. But the Raptors have five players averaging above 16 points per game. And honestly, if you've, because of the injuries and, and because of everything else, a lot of guys have stepped up to that number two option type of role right like Kyle and Pascal um have both missed time so someone has had to step in and, and be that guy and we've seen uh we've seen Fred do it we've seen Norm do it honestly even at times you kind of seen Serge do it like Serge was playing so well before the shutdown right consistently mm-hmm. giving you 20 points every night out i don't know what you can call that other than a second option but um yeah, it's interesting. For you, Like, who's the second option? And, and, and honestly, does it even matter? And It's almost an advantage to not have defined, like, okay, hierarchy, number one, number two, number three, number four. It's just sort of like, everyone's a threat.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely like the aspect that the Raptors have different guys that they can go to, but I do think the way Norman Powell has come on, that in the half court, I mm. really am comfortable with him as the second option. And especially Mm. when you think about, you know, if you can have Norm handling the ball and then you've got, you know, Kyle or or Fred uh, alongside, you know, if they're both on the court, that probably means OG isn't there. Um, Mm. If if one of them's on the court, OG is probably there with Gasol and Siakam. And so uh, I just love the way that they can set up uh, in that regard. And yeah, I just really trust Norm now. Um, And, I feel like he's going to make the right decision every time, uh, or you know, way more often than not. And especially if it's if it's coming sort of on the catch off off a of Siakam kickout, where the 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 defense is sort of on its heels, then I I, I think I, I think he's a great option to go to.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild to think about that with Norm, but he has been that guy. Like he just, he's been that good, man. Like if you even just look at it as a pure efficiency standpoint, like he's been the Raptors most efficient scorer this season. And um, yeah, I mean with, with Norm too, it's just, I think it's also interesting because you know, with him as a number two guy, he's almost like um, he's not going to handle the ball that much. Right. Uh, uh-huh. He's not going to play make, but he's such a good finisher. Now you can run so many different plays. Again, you Know doing this exercise of putting these videos together, I, w- I watched pretty much all of Norm's baskets this year. And first off, really impressive what he was doing this year. But, um, you know, you yeah. got to see the variability of the plays. Like the Raptors run, uh, you know, a hammer play where they get okay, some you know, they run picker on one side and the other side, someone comes off a screen and someone's in the corner, there's a cross court pass, and someone's open in the corner. The Raptors run this play all the time, usually, they run it for guys like uh, Fred and Kyle, you know, elite three point shooters. You know, obviously Matt Thomas when he's in the game, he gets that play as well. They're starting to run it more and more for Norm. And and Norm's been really good at that too. He's been, you know, as good as anybody in terms of converting threes. And, you know, you're seeing obviously, you know, the plays where he's curling to the basket off the screen. He's obviously very good at that. Um and and even just like, you know, they're just basically able to run more For Norm. Now, if he were able to like handle the ball and actually make reads and all this stuff, because he's still not necessarily a super efficient pick and roll creator, um, Mm -hmm. then okay, yeah, then all of a sudden we're talking about a star player. But, you know, just as a finisher, I mean, he kind of reminds me a little bit, almost of Eric Gordon in a way, like like a younger Eric Gordon, where he was able to really shoot threes. He's also able to have the upper body strength, even as a slightly smaller guard, to go all the way to the basket and finish. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, Norm is really good in that role, but. I mean, damn, you could you could there's there's a lot of guys that can slide in and out. And I think that's where it's you know, you know, uh, for the Raptors when, when everyone gets healthy and everyone's down there in Florida and hopefully everyone's okay. Um, but they're, when they're getting ready to play and they're getting ready to basically draw how they're gonna play. Like that's also one of the things that I wanna see more of from the coaching staff is you know, okay, so they've done a really good job of making do with like, okay, we have a limited roster, this is what we gotta do. But when everyone's healthy and together, I wanna see the fact that the Raptors have these five players who could be the number one option. Um, or sorry number two option like you know you can can you find a way to balance the scoring off the bench and what the starters because that was one of the things where when the Raptors are fully healthy the starters are great the bench came off you know kind of destroying it and, and with the amount of talent on the team and the way everyone stepped up there should be a a, a balance that uh, could be struck there but yeah yeah and it's, it's just rare man the Raptors have five players averaging 16 points per game you know they had seven players, seven different players. a season go out for thirty plus. Like man, I don't know, man. I mean that whole entire uh, run from the weed to North era, from fourteen to what nineteen or yeah yeah nineteen, like or eighteen. I mean, were there seven different Raptors across those like six seasons where yeah. they had thirty points?
0: Like, <laughs> it's a special time, man. It's a special yeah. time, and especially with this group. Um, we talked about it a lot, but I don't think you can say enough about it. The way a lot of people around the league viewed the Raptors after Kawhi's departure, like, mm-hmm. that, would, that all they needed, they, they they didn't even need that chip on their shoulder for them. It was about, hey, okay, we're just gonna come in and do our thing, mm-hmm. right? And, and you saw the confidence that they had, uh, you know, media day, and. Yep. Yeah, he saw a surge, basically laughing at the claims uh, that the Raptors weren't, you know, going to be going to have potentially home uh, home court in the first mm-hmm. round or whatever it may be. I mean, no one has home court now. But
1: uh, well, come on, man, know, the Orlando Magic. Come on, <laughs> what an unfair advantage for Evan Fournier. There's <laughs> six follicles, man. That's not fair. Come on. But uh, yeah, again.
0: The confidence they that they have from winning the championship and the desire they have now to go get another one, um, I, think, I think that has taken has helped Norm just find another level. Like he just seems at peace uh, mm-hmm. every time he's on the floor, and it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I this is what I'm supposed to do every time I'm on the floor, and he's doing yeah. it.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful, man. He put it all together. Um, number eight, the Raptors are just really good in the clutch. And it's it's weird because you would think after losing Kawhi, their their go-to clutch guy, it'd be harder. The, the hardest thing to replace would be that closer. And maybe honestly, at the hardest, at the toughest stage, when it's conference finals time, whenever when it's game seven, you got four point two seconds left on the clock. What are you gonna go to? Um, you know, obviously that's a different situation. But for the most part, the Raptors have been really good in the clutch this year. They're fourth best in terms of net rating. There's and including in that, they're second best in offensive. Uh, uh you know um it's just, just second in offense and you know it, it's it's been really interesting to see like if you look at the numbers of just like who's been good in true shooting percentage uh in crunch time scenarios terrence davis is at 75 for true shooting norm <laughs> norm is at 73 Serge is at 72 fred's at 69 kyle 68 even pascal at 61 that's still really good yeah like that's unbelievable. Like the Raptors have been really good offensively in crunch time. Now OG's 51, and then Marcus Hall somehow is at 18% in crunch time, which I don't know how that's possible. But uh, yeah, Marcus for the most part, the part I mean, like, uh, me. yeah, you're right. He might have shot 18 total times in crunch time this year, and I would be a little surprised. Um, but yeah, well, why are the Raptors so good offensively in the crunch time?
0: Again, I think they're just reading and reacting to each other, and they're not a like. If, if Norm has the hot hand, they're comfortable with just going to Norm. If it's Pascal, they're comfortable with going to Pascal. If it's Kyle, they'll go with Kyle. If it's Fred, they'll go with Fred. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, again, that variability late in the game is an asset. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we get caught up in um, players hitting these big shots. But realistically, if you look at a large sample size of any of these, you know, amazing clutch players at the end of the day, the percentages aren't great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they just, they just have these great moments that we remember.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: to further your point, uh, I filtered, uh, cause usually the clutch uh, stats that we get, it's for the final five minutes and the games within plus minus five. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I filtered for the final three minutes and set it to plus minus three. Uh, the Raptors are number one. If you do that. Wow. And, and uh, in 44 minutes of that, they have eight turnovers. So they take care of the ball. they make making sure they get a shot off every time. They're shooting 15 of 34 from three. Uh, they're, they're 43 of 53 at the line, so you can't foul them. That's that's the tough
1: thing, Oh, too. man. But
0: you have a team when w- arguably Pascal Siakam might be the worst free throw shooter, right? It, mm. it is, if if OG is not on the floor.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. And, and so, again, the, you're in a situation where you can't really foul – um, and so uh, I just think that makes them really difficult and again with the IQ, everyone's ready to make the unselfish, smart decision and what I found interesting is when you look at their overall pace over the course of 40 minute, 48 minutes, they play about 101 possessions mm. uh, but in the clutch it goes to 107 mm. and so that tells me it, they almost understand that they're not as great in the half court. And so they just keep try to keep that steady pace and they try to you know play off their defense even more. I mean, they have a defensive rating of 88.8 in the clutch, right? And so I, I think they look to really capitalize on their defense and make sure that if they get a clean look, they go ahead and take it, right? Like even when I think about that Pacers game, when they made that late comeback, right? How many times did they actually take like, that first shot had became available to them. Mm. Late in the game, when you get a good, clean look, that first look might be the best look you actually get. Yeah,
1: that's a lot true. of
0: times, you might wait, you know, you might dribble out the clock and whatnot, and you would end up with a really tough look. A lot of times, that first clean look you get is going to be the best look you take. And I think the Raptors recognize that, and they go for it.
1: Yeah, and it helps to have guys who have won the championship, so they're willing to take big shots. Like, <laughs> this is nothing, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like, oh yep. man, you know, Norm hit a game one against the Chicago Bulls. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> he's done more than that. He's 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 done that against the Milwaukee Bucks and stuff like that. So, um, Matt,
0: remember the home opener where Norm got the last shot, and as soon as he started dribbling out the clock,
1: oh yeah,
0: on press wrote like we were just like. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nick knew. No, I mean, yo, I mean, you know, it, it's 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 more memorable when you win in overtime and over Ignite. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Although that was weird, man, because Pascal had like, what, 30 plus and, and Fred had 30 plus? I, like, up, up. <laughs> why were we just giving the ball to Norm? But I mean, yeah, to your point, they knew. Um, And then number nine, it, this is. Okay. Getting to 10 was a little difficult. Number nine for me, I just put depth. I I just think it's interesting that Raptors have a a deep team. I mean, it's not like the Raptors are the best bench in the league or anything, but it's, it's the idea that they have seven guys who can be starters, right? Like, and, and have succeeded as starters this season. Like if you look at Norm in like almost 30 starts this season, he's averaged 19 points per game with a true shooting of 65%. That's wild, man. Like you can't say that about a lot of players. And then for Serge, when he started, and again he started almost roughly 30 games as well, he's averaging 18 and 10 as a starter, shooting 50% from the field. So you have seven guys who can legitimately start on the team, and that that depth is is unique. I think a lot of teams you cannot say that for. And then just you know off the bench, it, it's just kind of cool. Like they have specialists kind of for everything, which is you know speaks to the, the the team and the roster construction. But you have Terrence Davis can come in to score, Matt Thomas has come in to shoot, Rondae to defend. Boucher to hustle. You have even Macaw. You know, just if you want to, you know, up the difficulty for yourself. Um, you know, it's it's just a just a nicely put together team, man. Shout out the front office. It's everything fits well.
0: Yeah, no, I I know you said you you're kind of stretching here, but I actually think this is one of the biggest points of the team because you think about that game in New Orleans where Kyle and Serge go down mm-hmm. and. Think about the panic in that moment that everyone had Mm -hmm. because at that point, Nick wasn't trusting anyone on the bench, right? He had called out Rondé and Stanley and Mm. no, none of these guys were playing. He he didn't feel any of them were ready, but he set that championship standard right from the very beginning. You guys are going to play at a certain level. If you can't do that, you are not going to be on the court. And, He's seen, uh, you know, we've seen him demand the best out of them. He's called out Terrence uh, from time to time. He's called out Chris Boucher, and I think this constant expectation just has people. And and again, Nick Nurse has said this. He knows when it's time to call them out. He knows when it's put uh, when it's time to put his arm around their shoulder as well. And I Mm -hmm. think that balance Mm -hmm. is, is what gets them playing at that level because, at the end of the day, they respect the fact that he is trying to do what's best for them. He's trying mm-hmm. to get the best out of them. And, uh, and and then I think another really important here point here in terms of the depth is the championship experience, right? The, the Raptors have seven players who played through that run. Mm-hmm. Then you have other guys like OG, Chris Boucher, Malcolm Miller. like They were in that locker room and were a part of the journey the whole way. Yep. And because of the way superstars move now, it's actually become very difficult to find a championship roster.
1: Mm, right?
0: you yeah. look, now, you look at the 22 teams remaining. The Warriors aren't there. The yep. Cavs aren't there.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: Lakers, they have LeBron, Danny, and, okay, now J.R. Smith, who, who have known <laughs> what it takes. Um, the Clippers have Kawhi. That's it. None of yep. these teams will go into this, these playoffs with championship experience, but the mm-hmm. Raptors do. And so yeah. when you now talk about betting on yourself and understanding the grind uh, and winning a championship of that class, uh, mm. you know, this group, they know how to get it done better than any other team that's out there right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely true. And I think one thing that's super underrated is just like when you go through the finals and when you go through the playoffs and everything like that, you are in so many difficult moments as a team that challenges you, that forces you to grow um you know like you you, and and even just beyond that you're in so many tough practices you like the Raptors don't practice that much in the back of the season they really don't like the amount of times we get an alert on our phone that says oh Raptors canceled practice today no media availability I'm like all right cool (laughs) (laughs) right but like they don't practice that much but like in the playoffs and stuff like that they practice so much they practice so hard you're so focused that that, I think that helps you grow as a player and even if you're just watching like some of these other guys as you mentioned you know you're still going to take something from that um and then, you know, the other thing is just uh, to your point about the Lakers getting a J.R. Smith, can we just take a second to appreciate that LeBron's going to be trapped for two months with J.R. Smith, <laughs> Smith, Deion Waiters, uh, <laughs> JaVale, yeah, KCP, like, man.
0: It's
1: going to be a great time, man. It's going to be a great time. J.R. is <laughs> like the, the guy you invite to the party at university because he's old enough to buy beer. <laughs> Uh um uh, yeah, number ten, just because the spot's going long, but um I, I thought, you know, if you're gonna be a unique team, you should be a team that is memorable and, and hard to sort of compare. And I think for me, I was trying to think about which team the Raptors this nineteen twenty version of the Raptors reminds me of. And honestly, I came up kinda of came up with three. I don't think any of them are perfect. Um and I'm not saying they're as good as any of these because some of these teams are really damn good, but you know the O four Pistons. You know, with that sort of defense first really balanced attack, you know, the Pistons had like five guys scoring 10 points per game, to be honest, they were only scoring like 70 points per game (laughs) back then. So that actually was pretty impressive. You got to convert that, um, to today's currency. Um, You know, and then, you know, I I thought of the grit and grind Grizzlies as well, a little bit just obviously with the mark angle. But, you know, another team that defense first, really tough, really balanced in terms of their scoring. They had some great point guard play, but they also got some great post play. And then a little bit the 2014 Spurs, only in the sense that they're they're really unselfish and they have this sort of like um, uh, ability to sort of sense what everyone else is going to do. Like it's really like uh, you're playing against a team, like a team mind. And the Raptors, they don't have the talent that the 2014 Spurs do. That's ridiculous. But um, they kind of have the similar property of just, like, they have, like, a collective conscience that you're playing. Not against one player, not against two-star players, not against any of that. It's just, like, a team. You're facing a team that knows what to do, and it's hard to beat. Uh, Out of those three, do do you see uh, – which one of those do you like? Or maybe you have another suggestion of what the Raptors remind you of?
0: I I would say, you know, obviously – they don't have that same maybe like hall of fame caliber, but I, I do like the comparison with the, I would, I would actually combine both the 2013 spurs and the 2014 spurs, right? Because I mm. think that, that that's the exact same team. You, you just, in in one situation, you're outdone by superstar talent. And so, and, and you got a little bit unlucky. And I think, that's perfectly plausible for these Raptors, right? They might just, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, with the 13 Spurs, the 14 Spurs, you know, you are going to see them absolutely maximize everything they can do, and if everything plays out the right way, they could be champs again. Um, if they, if luck, you know, if a rebound doesn't go their way or whatever it is. Um, you might just get out down and you might just be a little bit unlucky. So um, I think though, that that that's a good example. Um, I, I was actually thinking of other teams that have lost that are sort of memorable and mm-hmm. how the Raptors compare to them. And so the other two that I was thinking of, like, okay, so we talk about the 2011 Mavs cause they won, but you also think about those 06 Mavs uh, when, when they lost to the heat mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm not saying Pascal at this point is comparable to Dirk at all, but you had Dirk as the main scorer, but then you had Jason Terry, Josh Howard, Marquis Daniels, Jerry Stackhouse, Devin Harris, like all these guys that could fill it up. And, and I think the Raptors are very similar in that way. Again, their defensive uh, principles are very solid. Um, so I like th- that comparison a little bit. I don't know where you're, where you're at with that. And then the other one I thought of was the 2000 Blazers.
1: Uh, the oh, wow. That, okay.
0: The team that lost to the Lakers. Uh, they had Sabonis at center. I think there's some comparisons okay. that made with Mark uh, okay. Rashid. Like he could shoot the three, he could hurt you in the post. Um, yep. And then you you think about Scottie Pippen at small forward, just defending the heck out of everyone and just being a leader. Um, mm. And then in the backcourt, they had Damon Stademeyer and Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had Bonzi Wells coming off the bench, which is kind of like Norman Powell. Mm. So I think there's some, some similarities there. What you think?
1: Yeah, I, I like that one. I like that one too. Um, that team's a little older. I feel like the Blazers team, but um, yeah. kind of the same idea, right? Like that, the, the nice balance between, you know, where they're going to attack you from. Like there's not one necessarily standout offensive player from that, that group, but like, you know, again, it's kind of similar to the Raptors in that way. I mean... Yeah. That, I mean that's look, that's one of the things that makes it unique, man. It's, it's just it's hard to draw that firm comparison. Like Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Um, but I do like that Blazers comparison. Hopefully they don't lose on a lob to, to Giannis or some shit like that. <laughs> uh, that would be heartbreaking. Um Yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, look, man, I hope uh I hope we ramble long enough about what makes Raptors unique. I hope people I mean, I don't know, I I, I hope, but like, you know. I personally miss the Raptors a lot more now, having had this conversation. Very excited to see this team again. Um, so, yeah. Oh, last thing. Uh, have you seen the have you seen the latest updates in the Giannis agenda?
0: Um, Giannis tweeting about Giants of Africa. Mm.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Hey. Mm. Right. Like I tweeted, man. The pitch meeting is basically going to be at Giants of Africa. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Masai there, and Serge there, and Pascal, and Dikembe, and Barak. How are
1: you going to say no to that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, damn, I mean, listen, I, I, I've I been waiting for the Raptors to actually put together a nice pitch for some. Obviously, they did that for Kawhi. seems like Kawhi was dead set on going home. That's cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, to, to pitch a free agent who hasn't come into your program before to really see how it works, it'd be really nice. I mean, um, these pitch meetings are always kind of hilarious, to your point. Like, I remember a couple years ago when KD was a free agent, like he visited the the Boston Celtics, and they brought Marcus Smart, um, Kelly Olynyk, uh, they brought Tom Brady as well. <laughs> it's just like, who? Why are you bringing all these random people? <laughs> Bro, nothing.
0: Why is did you ever Why
1: gonna, did you bring Tom Brady? <laughs> nothing is
0: ever gonna beat uh, the Blake Griffin. Oh yeah. Yep. Perfect. I
1: mean they. I mean there you go. To Barkley's point, that's basically they locked up DeAndre. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so yeah i mean you know it's uh, look I, honestly like even jokes aside like just if you get a chance to watch giants of africa it's really really well done i think it's on netflix now um you know it's it's just really beautifully put together and it really just puts um you know it just puts my side into perspective of like you know it just makes you respect the man so much because of what he stands for of, about the vision that he has and it's, it's like it's truly inspirational. Like I remember watching it a couple of years ago when it, it premiered at TIFF, and Masai came out and spoke and stuff like that. Um, and he said we'll win a championship, which you know came true. You know, so shout out to him. But um, yeah, like it's just you know seeing the type of work that he's doing and, and seeing the sort of person that he is and sort of the values he's trying to instill in people. Like it's not even it's not a movie about trying to find the next you know Giannis or Pascal or you know Embiid or whoever. It's 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 really just about a movie about a man who is like deeply connected with what it means to be a human what it means to be an empathetic human and and you know I, I think anybody I mean even jokes aside about the Giannis thing like anybody who watches that film will come away with so much more respect um, for Masai so if you get a chance to watch Giants of Africa I think it's on Netflix um, it's probably else you know on cable and stuff like that but um, it's great man and, and if that brings Giannis to Toronto then Masai deserves that honestly because he's you know he deserves the world
0: Absolutely, man. I, I think the biggest thing I took away from watching that was you just realize how small a part the like basket, like the Raptors are in his mm-hmm. life in terms yep. of all the things he's trying to accomplish right now. And um, it speaks volumes of him as a human being um, to take on that responsibility. Like Especially now, when, when you look around and you see how many people are just happy with sort of finding happiness within their own bubble. Mm -hmm. And when you look at him just constantly trying to see how can I help, how can I do better uh, for so many people outside of his inner circle, I think Mm. that speaks volumes of him as a man, as a human. And yeah, long may his success uh, continue.
1: MLSC, man telling you, back up the brink trucks, alright? You know, give him a side blank check, give Janice Lachlan a, a blank check, and let's keep this thing going. So, um, Vivek, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to... What have you been working on, man? Um,
0: I, I got some stuff with Complex on the run, uh, so you can look out for that in the near future. Uh, besides that, I'm trying to get some stuff ready for the NBA season restart. So, mm. just been putting together some stuff for that uh you can look out for that uh and yeah besides that you can follow me on twitter at Vivek
1: Jacob yeah there you go there you go I should have asked you what are you are working on aside from your forehand apparently <laughs> yeah um last thing we go any any hair tips any hair tips I feel like uh, this may be just for wow. me personally no man my hair has gotten out of control like I haven't got a haircut in obviously months yeah um, yeah what are you doing for hair care
0: I mean, so I'm using, I'm actually using my beard trimmer for, like, my sides mm. to where I figure it's, like, decent. Okay, okay. W- where I can, like, trust myself. Because once you start going too high, then, you know, you're just asking for trouble at that point. So yeah, yeah. yeah. That's I fair. I just do enough to, like, sort of keep, like, the sides d- decent and respectable. But besides that, man, I'm, uh, I just, you know, just shampoo regular, and, you know besides that i just use a comb i don't i don't really use gel um
1: it just naturally looks like this it it really does <laughs> <laughs> all right it's a podcast medium but i assure you big v has gray hair man <clears throat> <laughs>
0: thank you
1: man all right, all right man. well that does it for the podcast this week um thanks everyone for listening and uh yeah let's uh talk more raptors next week